when we have a fixed mindset, we're kind of in this stuck state where we think nothing will ever change. Nothing I do matters. And it's really hard to move the needle forward if that's how you feel. Your cells are going to listen to your brain. And so if you don't think you can heal, then you're not going to. Grown Girl Gang. Welcome back to the Girl We Grown Now podcast. I am your host, Victoria, and I'm so happy to have you all joining me for this week's episode. So we are continuing with the mindset series, and I'm so excited because I have a guest on today. So today I'm going to have a conversation with Carly Mariotti. She is a certified holistic health coach. She focuses on gut health involving many aspects of both the body and the mind. And her client work, she really focuses on psychosomatic trauma healing in order to regulate the nervous system. Nervous system dysregulation is really just a piece of the puzzle that must be remedied for long-term overall wellness. So that is really what she focuses on in her work. And in this episode, we talk all about how trauma is stored in our body and how it affects our body. Interestingly enough, we actually talked about this in the episode, but I went to hot yoga class the other day and it was a Vinyan 90-minute flow. And the instructor was saying that in these hip opener movements that we were doing in our yin practice that we do sometimes have emotions that can come up and we can really feel emotional and it's totally okay it's totally normal because we are in a position that's really releasing the trauma and the emotions that we have that really are stored in our hip area overall just like the way that our body stores trauma is something that i'm so fascinated by and that i want to continue to learn more about we also talk about the role our mindset plays when it comes to overcoming trauma the impact of negative self-talk somatic therapy and healing and in the mind-body connection. We really cover a lot in this episode, so you are definitely going to want to listen to the full episode. And with that, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Carly. Hi, Carly. I'm so happy to have you on. I'm just really grateful that we were able to connect and get this scheduled. Likewise, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me and for bringing topics like this to the forefront so that other people can listen in. Yes. Okay, so I love to start with a little icebreaker. Can you tell us what is the best life advice that you've ever received that you still apply today? So I'm going to actually talk about this in the podcast, but I have to say viewing everything that's happening around you as it's happening for me. So when bad situations happen, there's always going to be at least a silver lining, if not a huge breakthrough that comes from that, that is actually serving us. And so it's really all about our perspective in being able to notice that and then using it to our advantage and moving forward through navigating all of the crazy things that happen in life. I love that. And I feel like that's something we kind of talked through when we connected and we were just talking about our experiences that we had with relationships and we were connecting on that level. So I think when you go into things with that mindset, it really does change your perspective. And then instead of having like, what was me? Why did this happen? It's kind of like, okay, this happened probably for a greater purpose. And what can I learn from it? So I love that. Totally. It's totally about training the brain to say that in every moment, good or bad, so that you automatically just think about the positive things that come from all situations. Yes. And I feel like you start to grow so much when you start to view things that way instead of having a pity party, which sometimes, you know, it might be okay to have that for, you know, a minute. But then when you snap out of it and you really take in the positive, then that's when I feel like we really start to grow. 
Absolutely. That's when friends and people will gravitate towards you for advice. (laughs) So true. Can we start with you telling us a little bit about what you do? Yeah. So I am a certified holistic health coach. I specialize in helping people, mostly women through gut issues. And so this could be so many different causes to the gut issue, but it always, always has to do with stress. Um, And a lot of the time that stress comes in the form of trauma. So that's kind of what we're going to be chatting about today. But yeah, it, it encompasses so many more things than just that, but that's a huge component of it. Wow. I think that's so good that you're doing that. I feel like it's a huge thing. I know in February, I started working with a functional medicine doctor and I got a gut health test. And it is just really interesting when you start to evaluate your stress and your social factors and everything else along with the nutrition and the movement, because I've always focused on fitness, nutrition, and I never thought about the other factors that could be impacting my health and specifically my gut. It's something I never thought of. So I think it's really great that you're doing this work. Yeah. So in my training at IIN, we have a pillar of the, you know, the foundations of wellness and there is 12 different pillars and it's, you know, spirituality, education, home life, social connections, relationship with yourself, like all of these different things that really are primary parts that will improve or impede our health journey. So we can't forget about that and just focus on the food on our plate or movement with our body. Those things are also so important. Yes, that is so true and something I've learned so much about this year. Can you tell us how does trauma affect the body and what are some common ways that it's stored in our bodies? Yeah, so when people think about trauma, they usually think about bad experiences, maybe that happened in our childhood, adulthood, you know, it doesn't really matter. But they usually think about it in terms of our mental health and our emotions. And while that might be true, and that may be where the stress or the trauma originated, what people don't realize, and what Western medicine has kind of conditioned us to think is that the mind and body are separate, when really, they are one continuum. And so So it's actually a survival mechanism for our bodies to, in a way, absorb some of that energy, some of those emotions from our brains and our mind to relieve that from our brain and our mind. So typically, it'll be stored in our connective tissue, so the fascia or the muscles or both. And so this is the connective tissue runs throughout the entire body. It's kind of like a shock absorber. So instead of us dwelling on it mentally and emotionally and creating that taxation in our body, it's going to move to the connective tissue and be stored in the body. That is so interesting because I think most of us would probably think, okay, when we think of trauma, we think of the mental effect, we think of the emotional effect, but not the actual impact physically on our body. So when you say it's stored in the connective tissue and the muscles, how does that manifest differently in different people? Yeah, so that definitely depends on a couple different factors. Both nature and nurture are going to play a part, you know, our genetic disposition to certain things like autoimmune disorders have a really somewhat of a large genetic component, but we can have that triggered by a stressful or traumatic event. Other things like gut issues are really common with people who have dealt with some trauma. And this is kind of connected with how the brain and the body are 
intertwined with the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve runs from our brain through our neck to all of our vital organs and the gut. And it's basically the main communication highway between the two. So that's kind of how it's all connected and how usually the trauma affects the gut, which is why it's something that I make sure I address with in my client work. So and then other things like parental influence, teachers, friends, all of those influences mold and shape us and condition us to think and feel a certain way. And so that's going to be a huge factor as well in how it manifests. But it can look like, like I said, autoimmune or gut issues. And this could be, you know, any autoimmune issue from Hashimoto's, which is a hypothyroid condition, most common hypothyroid condition to MS to fibromyalgia. I mean, it, it just the list goes on and on. Or, you know, things like fatigue, brain fog, even the inability to lose weight can have a lot to do with our trauma being stored in our body. So really could be just about anything that someone's dealing with. Yeah. So I know that you're saying it could affect people differently, but is there a trend that you're seeing? I know you said you mostly work with women. Is there a trend that you're seeing for like the ailment that the trauma is causing, if that makes sense? I would say both the autoimmune and the gut health are probably the number one and number two. I don't know exactly statistic wise from my point of view. Most of my clients have gut health issues, but a lot of them also have autoimmune issues. So the two go hand in hand. Wow, that's just something really interesting to think about is that trauma can cause like a physical ailment. So I think that's really important for us to know. How can our mindset play a role in the process of overcoming trauma? So the mindset and you know the way that we think is super important and it is a foundational piece of overcoming trauma, but it's not everything. And I say that because we already went over how trauma is stored in the body. And so when we use the body to help release some of this trauma, it can go, it goes tandem with the mindset. So it's kind of this physical transfer of energy from the body, releasing it, and then also regulating the nervous system as we're doing that. So that's kind of what the somatic work means, somatic therapy. So I'll give you an example. I don't know how many of your listeners have ever started a workout or like maybe they went out on a run and they're moving their body, they're sweating, like getting pretty warm. Maybe they're thinking about things. Maybe a song comes on that triggers this, maybe not, but they start to get super emotional. And then all of a sudden, they're like crying out of nowhere. I know that this has happened to me. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one. No, you're not. No. Definitely not. <laughs> or even going to the opposite end of that. And I know this because I'm also a licensed massage therapist. So someone will get on my table and I'll be moving and manipulating their soft tissue. So that connective tissue, the fascia, as well as their muscles. And as I'm doing this manipulation, they're getting emotional. Maybe something's been weighing on them. Maybe they recently had a death in the family. Maybe they haven't you know, dealt with some grief or they're just, they've got tension that they're holding on to and they start to get really emotional. And I've had this happen multiple times where people just start crying. And then all of a sudden they're like embarrassed about it. And I'm like, listen, this is completely normal. Let these feelings come. I'm not here to judge. And, you know, being a practitioner that understands that is, is nice to hold that space for them, give them, you know, the permission to feel through whatever they're going through. So yeah, both of these experiences, you know, it seems like they're quite different on the surface, but really it's, it's, again, it's that movement that's allowing that release. 
Wow. So I always wonder, I feel like I might have read this somewhere, but I think I heard, especially in women, a lot of times our trauma could be stored in our hips. So mm-hmm. like you saying that when you give massages, sometimes people start to release those emotions and release that trauma. So that just makes me wonder, like, is that the area where a lot of us tend to store trauma? And is there anything that we can do at home to like try to release? Yes, uh, the hips are a major focal point, especially for some of the more kind of the newer age, I suppose, somatic therapy or like some things that are becoming really popular right now. Yeah, the hips are a major focal point. So yeah, we can do a lot of different hip releasing, um, hip rocking, various yoga poses even can address that as well. In your opinion, how does a fixed mindset hinder someone's ability to heal from trauma and make positive changes? So one of the first things that I teach my clients is, well, the first module is always mindset, whether that's my gut course. I also have an acne course as well, which acne is always rooted in the gut. So the first thing that I teach in both courses is mindset. And one of the main foundations to that module is having an abundance mindset, which means knowing that anything is possible for you and truly believing that. And so when we have a fixed mindset, we're kind of in this stuck state where we think nothing will ever change. Nothing I do matters. And it's really hard to move the needle forward. If that's how you feel, you know, your cells are going to listen to your brain. And so if you don't think you can heal, then you're not going to. And then the science also says our brains are neuroplastic, which means that it's constantly changing from the outside stimulus it's receiving. So is this outside stimulus, self-talk, friends, family, is this positive? Is this something that is supportive of our healing journey? Or is this something that is fear-mongering or negative? So that's definitely a big part of it for sure. Yeah. So the first two episodes that I did for this series, one was on growth mindset and the other was on overcoming limiting beliefs. But you were so right about the abundance mindset. And it kind of makes me think of the placebo effects, which is what I mentioned in the growth mindset. The idea of the placebo effect is that if you think that something's working for you, not saying it's always going to heal you, but don't the studies show that they have a higher potential of healing just because they believe that it's working? 100%. There was a documentary, they took it off the air like a couple years ago, but it was called Heal. It was on Netflix. And you can still find some clips of it on YouTube. But it was like a few people's stories. I think one had cancer. I think another had an autoimmune disease. And it was really about how important their belief in curing what they were going through was. And it was like the moment that they changed that belief from I will heal or like from I might heal, I won't heal, like whatever it was to I will heal. That was when things started to really change. And there's been quite a few documents on cancer and cancer survivors and that being a major, major part. Because I mean, we think cancer, we automatically think death. People are like, oh, I have cancer. Well, then that's it. And a lot of times this is why we probably shouldn't get a prognosis from whoever is diagnosing and working with us, especially if that doctor is a Western medical doctor. And they're going to tell you like you have three to six months to live. That's not a good thing for someone to hear from someone that they're supposed to trust because they need to have that belief that they're going to live in order to live. 
Yeah, so true. Actually, someone close to me got a prognosis like that was cancer stage four. And honestly, his level of positivity and the way that he is still living his life the best he can is so inspirational to me. But he does have such a strong social support system. And so I think like even as you mentioned earlier, like all of those things make a difference. I love that. So how can reframing negative thought patterns contribute to a healthier mindset and better recovery from trauma? Yeah, so I feel like negative thought patterns and especially negative self-talk is the downfall of all mankind. And then when we have these, the automatic response of the ego is to look for things in the environment that are going to confirm this negative thought and this negative self-talk. And it's just a vicious cycle. And really, the ego is doing that to protect us. It's simply basing that view of your past experiences. But those past experiences are convoluted by, again, all of this noise around us, the parents, the teachers, the ex-girlfriend, boyfriend, the friends, the new partner, all of these influences are changing the mind of the ego. And that mind of the ego is really just projecting this on us in order to protect us. So the first step is kind of recognizing that, okay, my ego is trying to protect me right now. But then the next step is to realize that it's convoluted, like I said, by this noise. So finding a relationship with yourself that's based on you alone is really important. And realizing that we have the capacity to rewrite the story, to rewrite that relationship with ourselves, is really important for the next step in healing. And so I like to tell people and recommend that we do one of two things. We view ourselves, and this is going to be the new way that you talk to yourself, right? We view ourselves as us, but as a child. So you're that five-year-old little girl who is learning new things. Your brain is like a sponge. How would you talk to that little girl or guy? And then you could also, if that's not really your thing and you don't resonate with that, you can just view yourself as you, but your best friend. Would you talk to your best friend like you're talking to yourself or would you use language that's more positive? Would you find words that are more supportive? And then there's been lots of studies on this, but this is kind of the science behind why it matters and why our cells will react to our words whether that's positive or negative, it's going to influence them one way or another. And this is a lot of Joe Dispenza's work. There is a chiropractor, or I'm sorry, he's a dentist. His name is Christian Hahn. And they've done experiments with what I'm about to go over. So when we talk to water, literally speaking to your glass of water, as silly as that sounds, and as woo-woo as this might come off, like here's the science behind it. We've taken water that we've spoken to with hatred and disgust and looked at it under a microscope. And you can see the crystalline structure is chaotic and just kind of all over the place. And it looks angry. And then we take water and look at it under a microscope that's been spoken to with words of kindness and love and support and appreciation. And the crystalline structure is perfect. It's all symmetrical and it looks like a beautiful, harmonious component of life, which it is. So we are anywhere from 60 to 90% water, depending on the person and the day and all that. And so 
of course, the way that we speak to ourselves in that scientific sense is going to change the structure of ourselves, the fluidity of ourselves, the electricity that's going on in our body. So that's something that has always stuck out to me. And I try to remind people that you can't expect to heal if you're not giving yourself the proper support. And that starts with how you speak with yourself. Wow, I love that. I have not heard of that experiment. But when you explained it, it makes so much sense, especially knowing how much of our bodies are made up of water. I feel like that's such a great way to really look at it. It's really, really cool. The experiment that Christian Hahn did was actually he used rice with water. And so he didn't look at it under a microscope, but he had two jars. One was spoken to with hatred and disgust, the other with love and kindness. And the one with hatred and disgust, the water literally turned brown with that rice. Like the rice started to like, you know, probably opportunistic bacteria and microbes started to take over and produce this murky brown color. And then the other one was perfectly clear. That is really, really cool. I feel like Again, I've never heard of this experiment and I'm very intrigued now and I want to go look it up. I do like how you said trying to speak to yourself as your best friend or as a child because we tend to be our biggest critics. So if we can kind of channel the energy and the kind of communication that we would, of course, communicate to a child and people that we love, then we know that it's just going to be so different. What are some common barriers that individuals may face when trying to embrace a growth mindset after trauma and how can they overcome them? So the main goal with trauma and healing from trauma somatic therapy is not necessarily to get rid of the stress or release the trauma. I mean, that is a component of what happens. That's kind of like an end result. But the main goal is to build up your resilience. So regulating your nervous system and just becoming more resilient to the stressors that have happened in the past, future stressors, everything like that. That makes sense. And I can imagine the other goal is to develop like a toolbox that you can use. So when those things come up and those stressors come up, then you can easily combat them. But I know we talked a little bit about social support and connections. Can you tell us how that can influence someone's mindset during the process of healing from trauma? Oh, gosh, absolutely. We already kind of touched on this with your friend with the prognosis. But when we have wonderful support and connections in our life, that will propel our healing. But when we lack that, that's going to hinder our healing and our progress with regulating our nervous system, letting go of the stress and the trauma. And I know everybody will remember this because we've heard it a thousand times, but misery loves company. And we know what it's like to be around those people that are constantly complaining. Nothing ever is good enough. And so, yeah, I think that another big component of this is to learn how to effectively communicate your own boundaries. So whether that is with loved ones that maybe aren't the most supportive right now, having those boundaries in place for yourself and then learning how to effectively communicate them without being unreasonable. I think a big part of communicating our boundaries is going to be exhibiting an understanding that you see that other person's perspective and that you're not just disregarding them. Because when other people feel seen and heard by us, they're much more willing to be compliant with what we're asking for and understand it. And then in turn, you feel seen and heard. But if we come at it with a combative kind of like, I'm putting my foot down boundary, that's not going to be met with the same compassion. 
there without over explaining yourself and just keeping things simple. As long as you come from that open perspective, understanding perspective, it should be met with, like I said, that understanding and you'll, you'll be seen and heard. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. It, it reminds me of this book. Oh man, I'm trying to think of the name. I think it's called A Dance with Anger. It really just helps you try to get to a place where you can assertively communicate, but also like you said, like come from a place of hearing and understanding, but you're going to do what's best for you at the end of the day. And you know, it's kind of okay to do that and it's okay to assertively say that and be able to really just set that boundary, but also like you said, let the other person know that they're being heard because as you said, it's all about your delivery. That's right. I think communication is the one of the most important components to any relationship, mm-hmm. whether that's a relationship that lasted for 30 seconds in the grocery store line or 30 years. Yeah. And I feel like it is one of the most difficult things because it's not only knowing how to communicate, but it's understanding someone else's communication style. And no matter how much you try to understand theirs, if they don't understand yours or try to, it's just going to be this pushed and pull and it can just be really complicated. So like the older I get, I just learned it's a really challenging thing for all of us to get on the same page about. So it just takes work sometimes. Absolutely. So I know you mentioned resilience. How can someone cultivate resilience and foster a growth mindset after they do experience some kind of trauma? So we already talked about self-talk, but that's the foundation that you can't skip over. And then I like to recommend journaling, although it's not for everyone, but it can help us to bring our thoughts to completion. This can help for anyone who maybe they have those ruminating or looping thoughts and they just can't seem to get out of that rut of the situation that may be happening at work or relationships or whatever. And so journaling, something magical happens when we write something down. It like releases it from our brains. We don't have to continue thinking about it. And then it also kind of frees up that brain power we've been using to constantly think the thing over and allows you to just reach more clarity more easily. I also love noticing the life lessons that we're meant to learn. And I think this is one of the big teachings for me in my personal life, but understanding what we're meant to learn throughout any experience, that's going to help us learn how to react if maybe something similar happens again, or how not to react if something similar happens again. And that can obviously lead to a lot of growth and change for the better in my client work whenever I get to know someone and with myself. If I see certain patterns that someone may be repeating, that's one of the signs that maybe they're not paying enough attention to their life lessons. Maybe they need to start tuning into what these patterns are showing up for and what it's the universe or whatever higher power you believe in is trying to teach you. Then there's reparenting, which we kind of spoke about before, where you're kind of speaking to you, but as a child, this is a way that we can use reparenting to help kind of transfer that emotional body out and release it. We already kind of talked touched on this in the very beginning, but it's viewing everything that happens to you, and I'm using quotation marks, as it's happening for you. This is meant to, maybe it's just meant to teach you a lesson like we just spoke about, but maybe it's also meant to clear out the things that aren't meant for you. Maybe it's meant to, you know, you get fired from a job, like that kind of sucks, but does it? Because there's something better that's waiting for you. So it's just knowing that that's going to happen and fully trusting that that's why it happens. 
Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite one is when you say just look at things as they're working for you. Because I think, again, as we talked about earlier, when you change that mindset, it unlocks a whole list of opportunities. Like you said, yeah, getting fired does seem to suck. But if you look at like, hmm, I maybe I got fired because there's a better opportunity for me. I feel that way even in relationships. When relationships come to completion, it's like, okay, well, maybe that relationship, I know this is so corny, but it's, they come for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. And it's like, maybe you were meant to learn something in that relationship, which we probably were. Hopefully we can see what it is for us to learn so that we don't keep dating that same like kind of spirit in a different person, if that makes sense. So I think it's so important to have that level of self-awareness to where we can take a step back and really think about, okay, what is the lesson and how can I move forward, learn the lesson so that I don't have to keep getting the same lesson over and over. Because I don't know about you, but I feel like when I don't learn the lesson, I can just get a new lesson in a different person. And I'm like, wow. Yes, I have definitely been there a time or two. Because you'll keep getting those life lessons until you learn. It'll just continue to happen over and over again. So again, like with the patterns, it's a really easy way to pick up on like the fact that you didn't learn this or you didn't take the right thing from XYZ that you were meant to. Like, let's try again. Mm -hmm, Exactly. That's so true. So I know you've already mentioned somatic healing. Can you tell us how does it differ from other traditional healing therapies? Yeah, so somatic therapy is all about incorporating bodily movement, but it differs from other therapies in, I guess, that way. But also, it's not necessary in somatic therapy to recall a traumatic event, whereas with top therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, those more traditional types you usually are talking about what happened, you're working through something maybe with someone usually in a professional setting. But with somatic healing, that's not necessary. And a lot of the time, it's actually contraindicated. So somatic therapy could be using your entire body, it could be doing small little hip movements and hip release, or it can be even as small as just using your eyes and moving nothing else. So there's a variety of different tools that are used in the somatic therapy world. So that's really interesting. So somatic, correct me if I'm wrong, but somatic therapy is to release stored trauma, but does the trauma come back or does it kind of once you release it, it's kind of like gone? So somatic therapy, somatic simply means related to the body. So somatic therapy always incorporates any type of movement. The end result is usually a release of trauma that can look like you feeling better about a situation or it can look like immense crying and grieving. It looks different for everyone in every different situation. But it's more about regulating the nervous system because what happens in trauma is the nervous system is dysregulated. And then we're in this chronic state of fight or flight where even things that aren't necessarily threatening anymore or never were threatening all of a sudden kind of set the body off. And so we're always on edge. We're hyper vigilant. Maybe we can't sleep, different things like that. So to answer your question, it's not really like a one and done practice. It's definitely something that you want to continue working through. And maybe it never ends. Maybe it does. I think that definitely depends on the person and the situation and what happened in in the traumatic event, you know, how severe was it. But for me, I think that 
five to 10 minutes of somatic release or somatic therapy per day is a really good place to start. And then just evaluating where you are every six months or every year. Like, do I still need to do this? Yes. That makes sense. How does somatic healing complement or can it work in tandem with traditional therapy approaches? So I think it can definitely complement them. I personally feel like a lot of the traditional types of talk therapy are a little bit outdated just because we know scientifically that the body is part of where the trauma is stored. So it really, to me, it doesn't make sense to only work on the mental aspect of it. I feel like there has to be at least partial physical, you know, a physical component to that, but I don't see it being an issue to do both. What role can breathwork and body awareness exercises play in helping an individual connect and release a stored trauma? So breathwork is a foundation to not only somatic therapy, but to overall wellness and optimal health. So our breath is what allows us to connect to our nervous system. We can literally calm our nervous system just through our breath. And somatic therapy does include the simplicity of breathwork you know, just focusing on the breath, meditating, or just closing our eyes and focusing on belly breathing, that is a somatic therapy. But because it allows us to connect to the nervous system, it allows us to start regulating it, which is the whole goal of somatic therapy. So it's a foundational piece. It also helps us to develop the ability to feel signals from the body. So whereas a lot of therapies are kind of helping us recall a situation and work through a trauma with breath work, somatic work, we don't have to necessarily recall those. But if they come up, the first thing we want to notice is how it feels in the body and then working through that. So does it feel like fire in your belly? Does it feel like a tightness in your chest? Did you start shaking or your hands now shaky? And then just recognizing that connecting to the body is kind of the first step. I like that a lot. I breathwork is another thing that I've been trying to incorporate a lot more this year since learning about it because I noticed that especially like in work situations when I'm kind of stressed, overwhelmed, my breath gets so shallow and I'm just barely breathing. So I just notice when I start to get overwhelmed to just pause, take a few deep belly breaths. I try to like let it out slower. I take like was it four breaths in or eight breaths out. I know there's different methods. But yeah. um yeah, I just notice when I do that, it instantly is calming for me. So it just makes such a huge difference. Yeah. So something with my clients when they're dealing with gut issues, something that really helps is to take a couple deep breaths before you start to eat. So, you know, your plate is in front of you. You're looking at it. You're smelling that you're getting your brain primed. You're getting your digestive system primed to digest that meal well, but you're taking a couple deep breaths to really, really calm the body and activate that parasympathetic nervous system. And, you know, that's something that, like you said, can be used in any setting. Let's say you just had an altercation at work or with a loved one. You really need to just calm the nervous system in order to be able to have an appropriate reaction to handle that situation. I totally agree. And I definitely feel like, especially around the time of the month, I am just more, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, but I think things bother me a lot more than they normally do. And I'm so happy that I finally realized that because I want to say my teenage years and early 20s, I was just a hot mess. But once I realized that, that's like another technique that I have been able to use. It's kind of like the awareness of, okay, my hormones are a little different right now. They're a little heightened. So let me just be a lot more aware of how my 
feels like my heartbeat is rising. I'm getting a little warm when like certain things happen and then just really telling myself, you know what? It is not as serious as I'm feeling right now, but then also taking those breaths and just all of that I found to be so helpful to not react in a way that I might regret later. I definitely know that feeling. If anyone you know doesn't really know how to breathe right, you can look up YouTube videos of belly breathing. Or if you're someone who doesn't fall instantly asleep, try to pay attention to the way you're breathing just for mm. before you fall asleep. And that's what I learned a lot from myself that way, because your breath is so calm. It's the perfect imitation of what you should do during the day when something crazy, when you know, shit hits the fan and you've got to calm yourself down. And it's usually like a short inhale and then a long exhale. Yes. Love that. Are there any misconceptions about somatic healing? that it's easy. <laughs> it is simple and it is straightforward, but and actually doing it might be easy. But I say that it's not easy because it's not easy to make yourself do something every day. And like we went over a little bit ago, it isn't something that's going to work to really move the needle forward in a healing journey. If you're doing it once in a blue moon, it's something that really needs to be done on the daily. So morning routine, nighttime routine, take those five or 10 extra minutes. And if one minute is all you can do, then start with that. It doesn't matter if you, you know, if that's all you've got, start there. I love that you mentioned that and that you highlighted that because I feel like it's the same in anything that you want to see results in, you have to do it consistently. And that's something my friend and I we're talking about because she just entered her 30s and then she was saying one thing that she really wants to work on this year is just being more consistent and it's just so true when you start to build the discipline of consistency you're gonna see results in basically anything that you're trying to do so i think it's important to know that a hundred percent and i think they used to say that it takes 21 days to form a habit i don't know if i agree with that and i think it depends on the habit and the person but if something is really important to you you're gonna do it and you're gonna find the time to do it and once you realize the impacts that something like this can have it will become important to you. And if it's less about importance than more about remembering to do it, I like to tell people to add a widget to their phone so it says it on their lock screen so that you look at your lock screen and then you have a task there and you're like, oh, it's time for my somatic healing journey. <laughs> and then you go do it or, you know, whatever the habit is that you're trying to adopt. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip because we are all always on our phone. So we're always going to see that. But I also too did think, I think we were told for the longest time that it takes 21 days. But I know that more recently I researched it and it said on average 66 days, but depending on the person, it could take longer. So yeah, yeah when I'm trying to be consistent with the habit, I try to at least give myself 90 days just to be on the safe side to try yeah. to really build that habit. And you know, you're not perfect. So you might miss a few days, but it's trying to do it and then just setting some kind of, like you said, a widget or some kind of alert so that you can remember to do it. Can you explain the science behind somatic healing and how it impacts the nervous system? Yeah. So the central nervous system, the brain and the spinal cord, and then you've got the peripheral nervous system, which all the nerves that run everywhere in the body. So, you know, it makes sense that because the nervous system encompasses both our minds, the brain, and the entirety of our bodies, that trauma would travel throughout it. The nervous system is the system that is affected by trauma. 
trauma. So that's kind of the science behind how it happens. Um, And then we also, we talked about the vagus nerve, but that's really the main nerve that is involved in the parasympathetic. So the, the calm, the rest and digest, the sleep, that part of the nervous system is governed by the vagus nerve. And and the vagus nerve, again, is the main highway between the brain and the rest of the body. So that's the science of kind of how it happens, how it gets transferred, so to speak, to the body. And then regulation of the nervous system, again, is the main goal of somatic therapy. So viewing the things and past traumas, current traumas, past traumas as less threatening and becoming more resilient to solving them or just kind of reacting more appropriately to them. It's also about noticing the tension you may be holding in your body and just releasing that. Like, are you, are your shoulders kind of up by your ears? Are you clenching your jaw? Um, Those are some things that trying to just remind yourself throughout your work day or your day to release that can do, do a lot for the body. And we're just kind of undoing these unconscious, deeply rooted beliefs that we've formed through years of influence and trauma. Unlike something like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where you're calling memories, this is more about there's less recall, if any, but when there is recall, we are kind of step by step noticing those past experiences that happened. And we're not thinking about the details of what happened. We're just kind of like flashing that and then we're interspersing it with a calm a sort of like anchor to speak something that that brings you happiness that you know you're supported and maybe like a family member maybe it's a visualization of you embracing a family member that's always been there for you so you're kind of like interspersing these two dichotomies to bring more calm to that nervous system and this is a technique called titration so we're slowly introducing that recall memory and then we're we're also introducing a calm anchor to help regulate the nervous system. I like the calm anchor. I can imagine that is so, so crucial and so helpful in the moments where that trigger starts to creep back up. Can you share some self-care strategies that we can incorporate into our daily routines to support us when it comes to our somatic healing journey? So two I already went over, so I'll just mention them, but self-talk and seeing the positive in all situations. But the third one and probably the most important one, being grateful, because when we're in a place of gratitude, it's impossible to also feel fear. This is kind of going to help someone who's maybe dealing with anxiety due to a past trauma. But when we have those anxious and overwhelming thoughts, thinking of things that we're grateful for and just noticing gratitude everywhere in our life is a huge, really key component to overcoming that. I love that. Something I try to do, but I'm not perfect at it. But I try to, when I wake up in the morning, I bought this gratitude book and I try to write down three things I'm grateful for because I feel like it only takes me a few minutes, but it's so important to me to try to start my day off with a grateful mindset. So that way, I feel like it just puts me in a more positive space and a more happy place for me to start my day. So I feel like that way, if I go outside to walk to my workout, something small happens, I'm not going to be easily worked up because I'm just like in this state of gratitude of like, okay, well, that's really small compared to everything that's going on. And I have these, like, you know, it's just really easy to ignore the small things. Absolutely. It most definitely serves that purpose that, yeah, it's really beautiful when that happens. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Carly. 
am so happy that you're able to come on. I do want to ask, where can we find you if we want to learn more about what you do, what kind of therapies that you offer and just different things that you offer? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. I hang out there a lot. I'm holistically underscore Carly. And then my website is holisticallycarly.com. And that's C-A-R-L-Y. So yeah, you can find me at either of those places. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. If you really loved the episode and you felt like it resonated with you, be sure to share the love and share the episode with a friend. Also, if you could take a minute and head to the review section wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a review, letting me know what you're loving about these episodes and which topics you want to hear next. That way, I can make sure that I continue creating episodes that you love. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss an episode. Until next week, bye, grown girl gang.